God has gifted us in so many ways around here, uh, and uh, what a powerful declaration of the grace of God. Uh, these guys work so hard at leading us in worship uh, every week. I'm so thankful for them. Well, uh, we take a break from First Peter today, and we're going to uh, look at chapters 1 and 2 of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we're calling this sermon series A Horn of Salvation, and uh, at some point, we will cover uh, all of both chapters. Uh, we are going to take different sections as we move forward. Uh, today, we're in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 uh, through verses 38. And if you would, stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect Word. What a powerful sight this is every week. I hope you realize the forces of darkness tremble when you stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. It is a declaration that Jesus is Lord and you want to surrender your life to His Word. And that's what we do during this time as a church. We bow before our King in His Word. Hear the Word of Christ. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son who shall call, you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Oh God, I pray you would take this radical mysterious story and you would shake us today that it would not just be business as usual but we would realize through the incarnation the infleshing of God himself in the form of a baby you have changed the course of human history and God, today you would change the course of our lives. Would we surrender to Jesus as King and would it make all the difference in the world, in our life, in our family, in everything that we touch and we do throughout this week. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. 
Well, we've all had that experience uh, in the car or with our kids where we're listening to our favorite Pandora uh, playlist, and that song from high school comes on, and we, we hear it begin, and we begin to say, guys, y'all got to listen to this. This song is great. This was my jam back in high school. Hold on, listen. And then the words begin to come out. And we say, oh my word, turn that off. I can't believe I used to listen to that. No, that's another song. That's not my jam. That's not what I listened to. I can't believe that's what Def Leppard was singing. No wonder the kids in the youth group burned the album. I didn't realize that's what Vanilla Ice meant at the middle school dance. And the same thing happens when we gather to watch movies with our kids sometimes, or old TV shows. That's happened to me several times, trying to uh, introduce my kids to the glory of the Dukes of Hazard. And I realize there are themes and there are things that they shouldn't see here. Never forget the first time I was going to show my boys Lonesome Dove. And about five minutes in, there's a word that's used about two million times throughout that movie or that, that sequel. And no, you can't hear that. Let's turn that off. For some of us, it happens every Christmas where we say, hey, Christmas vacation is on. <laughs> Chevy Chase is hilarious. And we try to watch that movie. We, we, no, I, I forgot that was in there. And for many of us, it happens... On Christmas morning, when we're reading the Christmas story of Jesus. Hey kids, let's, let's, let's read from the Bible today. All the gifts and the wrapping in the background and pulling them away. And we want to have this sentimental moment of what's really, really important on Christmas Day. And we begin to read through the gospel narrative of the birth of Christ. And these words keep coming up. Virgin, conceived, betrothed, he did not know her. And then here comes the questions on Christmas morning. What's a virgin? What does it mean they're getting married but they didn't know each other? What does that mean? And all of a sudden, there's this awkward feeling on Christmas morning surrounding the Bible. And we go, oh yeah, I forgot all about that. I didn't want to have a conversation about the birds and the bees this Christmas. I didn't want you to look back to this Christmas for that reason. And if we're honest with ourselves, the Christmas story can be a bit awkward and uncomfortable. And if we want to be theologically correct, we can't make things up about the stork. We can't make things up that aren't true. If we're honest, the Christmas story, it's kind of like that Saturday where you're home and there's nothing on TV and you begin to flip through the channels and you come across some weird sci-fi movie. Maybe you're watching Netflix and you're thinking, this is weird and this is stupid, but you can't look away from it. And you watch the whole movie. And at the end of the day, you I just wasted my time. That could never happen. The Christmas story is the same way. If you've never heard it, if you've never read it, you read through it and you hear of a virgin birth, you hear of these angels from heaven, you hear of this story of this peasant girl and this carpenter, and, and, and all of a sudden they have the Son of God that they are to raise. And you would say, 
That could never happen. How in the world could that happen? Notice, first of all, in verse 6, we see the Christmas story and grace. Verse 26, in the sixth month, he's referring back to Elizabeth's pregnancy. And here, in the sixth month of her pregnancy, and we're going to talk about that in the upcoming weeks, John the Baptist's mother, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, this angel Gabriel is is this majestic warrior who's known for being in the presence of God constantly. He is one of God's chief angels. He is a majestic warrior. When you think of angels in the Bible, don't think naked babies. Don't. Don't think souped up humans. That's the way we think about angels. Humans, but they're just kind of souped up and they can fly. No, these were majestic, almost wraith Like creatures, if you've seen Lord of the Rings, these majestic warriors who fly around and do battle in the spiritual realm on behalf of God, on behalf of the host of heaven. And here, this majestic warrior has come to this podunk place in Galilee, the city of Galilee. This would have been a Nazareth would have been a small town of a few hundred people. It would have been an insignificant place in people's minds been like Waco. And so here, I'm not saying Waco's insignificant. <laughs> Just the way people would think. Where is an angel from heaven going to come? Maybe Washington, D.C. But no, he chooses Waco, Nazareth. That's exactly what's going on here. And it's meant to shock us. We hear Galilee, we hear Nazareth, and we think those terms are normal. Those are places of significance to us. But here, that would have been weird. That, that, that shouldn't have happened that this angel would go to Galilee. And notice, he goes to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Now, in the Bible, betrothal, it's not engagement. It would have been a covenant to marriage. It would have involved a ceremony. The, 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 man's, uh, the, the man who was being betrothed, his father would usually pay a dowry to the bride's wife, some goats for your daughter. Uh, and, and there would have been a payment made, and there would have been a public ceremony, and this would have been a covenant. And so what, the, what Luke is telling us is she was in a covenant to be married, and if she breaks this covenant, it would be the same as divorce. A virgin betrothed to Joseph. Joseph is known as a carpenter and he's going to be called her husband throughout this whole process. But notice a virgin to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now, house of David is significant. And and all of the gospel writers emphasize that both Joseph and Mary were in the lineage of David. The promises of God's kingdom are going to come from King David's line and both Mary and Joseph, Jesus' mother, Jesus' adopted father, are both in his line. But notice the virgin's name was Mary. Mary would have been a peasant girl from the backwoods. Probably when she was betrothed, she was 12 or 13. Probably by the time she was married, she was 15. So somewhere during that time, probably a 14-year-old girl, 
all of a sudden hears an angel speaking to her. All of a sudden has this glorious, majestic warrior standing before her. And notice verse 28, he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. He offers her a formal greeting from God himself. And notice this phrase, it's not insignificant. O favored one, it literally means graced one. Here before you, Mary, is something you don't deserve. That God is gracing you with something. He, he has found favor with you, meaning He is going to show you and give you and commission you to something you don't deserve. You didn't earn this moment. The Lord is with you. Notice how grace is explained here. You are favored because the Lord is with you. And that's the culmination of good news. That despite our sin, despite we don't deserve God to be with us, He is with us. And to have God with us is grace. But notice her response. She was greatly troubled. Now literally, she was shaken to the core. She was scared to death. And, and, and she can't understand what is being said She's trying to understand who is speaking to her, what is going on. She's disoriented. Where is this coming from? This cannot be real. The word discern, the word, that, the, the, the word discern here, it means to try to sort out reality. In her mind, this is a dream. In her mind, she is sleepwalking or something. In her mind, this can't be reality. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Now, why does he have to tell her not to not be afraid? Because she's scared to death. She's shaken to the core. She doesn't want to look up. She's not soothed by the presence of an angel. That's not what happens in the Bible. You see an angel, you fall on your face. You try to crawl into the ground to get away from these warriors. You try to get away from these messengers from God. And that's what's going on with her. She's disoriented. And notice he says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Again, grace, grace. That is being emphasized here. You have found favor with God. And that is a theme throughout the Christmas story. That God has come to us and that is grace. Grace means that you have been given something you didn't deserve. Grace means that you have been given something despite what you deserve. You deserve hell for your sin. We deserve to be left alone in the world for our sin. And yet God comes to us and there's grace. Notice the Lord is with us. That's how grace is defined. That you have God with you. The presence of God with you. Mary, who is a sinner just like everyone else, all of a sudden is graced, is favored with God. And notice grace here. It's not something you get. It's a person. Grace is a person with you. It's not something that you get. It's someone. And here the presence of God is with her. She gets God. And notice how, how, how great the result of grace. It overwhelms her fears. Because God is with you. You don't have to be scared. But in all of this, we see the grace of the Christmas story. The grace of the incarnation. Jesus, who is eternally transcendent from time and space, in this moment, 
he is choosing to confine himself to time and space. He comes to a, a real city, Nazareth. He comes to a real family. And Luke emphasizes all throughout his gospel the time it happens, when it happens, who were the kings when it happened, the order of events. Over and over he's emphasizing what month this happened in because Luke wants us to understand that it was the fullness of time that grace invaded human history. There was a literal time and space that the Son of God chose to live in. And that's good news for us. Because through the power of the Gospel, He's still here. He's still with us. Folks this week who will pay bills and change diapers and shop at TJ Maxx for Christmas can stand around and say, because of the cross because of the resurrection, because Jesus is ruling and reigning, and He has sent us His Spirit, grace. I am blessed. The Lord is with me. I do not have to fear. I don't have to fear anything in this life because the Lord is with me. My sins have been forgiven. He has been raised from the dead and He promises to raise me from my casket. The Lord is with me. That is grace that you can say that. That is mercy that you can declare that. It, it, to, from this moment to the last beat of the heart monitor, even facing that last second of your life, Gabriel brings you good news because Jesus has taken on flesh and really lived and really died in your place. You can say, the Lord is with me. I don't have to fear. Notice the text continues. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Now, he's trying to emphasize the normal happenings inside a womb that form a human. And notice you'll bear a son. There's no gender reveal that's going to be needed here. It's already been revealed. No hashtags. You will conceive and you will bear a son. But notice, you shall call his name Jesus. Now, for her... That would be shocking. Jesus wasn't just another name. No, he's declaring this is not what you're going to put on his birth certificate. He will be Jesus, the Savior, your Savior. You need to be saved from your sins. And this is the title, this is who he is. He is deliverer, he is the one chosen to save. And notice verse 32, he will be great. And, and Luke uses this word all throughout his, his gospel, great, which means mega. It means Jesus is, is, is high above all other powers, all other authority, all other rule. They will even say of John the Baptist, he will do great things, but this one will do even greater things. And John himself will say, I must decrease and he must increase. He is the greatest of the great. He is greater than anyone. He is great. And he will be called the son of the most high. Now, this is a term used for God, that He is high above any other power and authority. You don't get higher than God. He is the Son, which means He is God's King. Son refers to King. It also means He is like God. He will be like the Most High. He will take on the same nature as the Most High. 
And He will rule above all other rules and all other powers. And the Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David. He packs all of these terms in to describe His rule. There is no greater rule. There will be no greater rule. This is the rule of God Himself coming down and sitting on the throne of David. Israel's great king. The biblical dynasty is going to come through David. All of God's promises of power and authority and kingdom, they come through David. Now, the highest one of heaven will sit on the throne of David and rule Israel and rule the nations the way David was supposed to. And yet David's dead. All the other kings are dead. But God Himself will come and rule in their place. And finish the story. Notice how he's described here. He's described as a savior. He's described as a king. He's described as the promise fulfilled. Verse 33. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now he refers to Jacob here. Jacob was Abraham's grandson. Uh, God comes to Abraham and he says in Genesis 12. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to bless you. You're old in age. You're you can't have any kids anymore, you, you don't think? I'm going to bless you with a child, and all the nations are going to be blessed through you. Abraham, at the end of human history, people are going to turn around, and they're going to look back on your legacy, and they're going to see nations that come from you. Your descendants will be like the stars in the sky. Your descendants will be like the sand of the sea. And here... Through this one, God is coming to fulfill those promises to Abraham. Here, through this one king, God is going to fulfill the promise of a great people, a great nation that, notice, will know no end. This rule, this reign, this authority doesn't stop. It doesn't end. Here is the promised Savior King, Jesus Christ. Literally the one who rescues. The King who saves. The one God has promised from beginning of time. Here he is. He is in your womb, Mary. He will be in your womb. You will conceive him. You will carry him. He is your Savior. And it's crucial that we remember all of these things about Jesus this time of year. You do realize that Christmas, it's the one story we tell ourselves all year that leaves us empty in some sense. In our minds, in our hearts, we can't wait for Christmas. December 26th, we're already thinking about December 25th, the next year. And we make up these great and wonderful things that are going to happen next year. Next year, we won't fight over toys. Next year, we won't yell and scream at aunts and uncles around the ham it's going to be great. Next year, it's going to be great. We begin to think that the day after Christmas. And we tell ourselves these stories of this great thing. You do realize post-Christmas depression, it is a real thing. Why? Because Christmas never meets our expectations. We set ourselves up for failure. Some of us, if you're like me, I do that more with summer, the vacation, because I hate winter. So I don't want to think about Christmas during summer. But I'm thinking about the beach and it's going to be hot and it's going to be, uh, it's going to be glorious sitting on the beach, the smell of the ocean, and it never lives up to the expectations. 
And yet, here's one that the angel is saying doesn't let us down. He, he lives up to all the expectations. As a matter of fact, the story that God has told intentionally has left us hanging over and over. There have been promises yet to be fulfilled. There have been kings that did not rule forever. There have been stories that didn't seem to end just right. There have been heroes that have failed. And here is one who will come. And what the angel is saying is he packed in him is all the fulfillment that God could offer you. Packed in him is all the grace that God could offer you. He will not leave you empty. And so as we look around at this time of the year and we, we look to people who are unfaithful, we look to people because they are sinners, they can't fulfill our greatest needs, intentionally and unintentionally at times. Christmas offers the one who fulfills your greatest desires, your greatest need, the one who will die for your sin. He is Savior. You, you look around and you, you, you think even about Christmas at this time, you think about family. You think about legacy. Some of us will go home for Christmas and we'll look around and there will be people who were once there who are there no longer. And we're left with that feeling, this doesn't last forever. And yet Christmas overwhelms that feeling with one who gives you forever. Jesus and he will gather his family forever. And his kingdom will know no end. And that's why we make Jesus the center of Christmas. That's why we focus on Jesus, not on something that can be given to us. Not on someone that might give it to us. We focus primarily on Jesus and we let the grace of Jesus permeate every other situation, every other relationship, every other circumstance. Notice the text continues, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Now that's a great question. Now we read the Christmas story and go, come on, Mary. Mary, did you know? No, she didn't until right here. And then after this, she does know. How can this happen since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, notice the terminology used of the virgin birth here. It is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Come upon you is the same terminology used in the book of Acts, where the, the Spirit comes upon us, and there is this empowerment of the Spirit, but it's also connected to resurrection power. The same Spirit that will raise Jesus from the dead hovers over the womb of Mary. Notice the term overshadow. It's the same term, it's the same language used at the beginning of creation where God hovers over things. Here God is going to bring about a new creation, a recreation in the womb of Mary. And notice, because of this, He will be set apart by the Spirit. He will be holy. He will be God's anointed King. This is a unique person in a unique moment in history. In the womb of Mary is the empowered King of the universe. Empowered by the Holy Spirit to rule as God's King. To overcome sin and death. To bring about a new creation. A new age is dawning here in the womb of Mary. Now, there is a sense in which the virgin birth 
we get to a place where it's just mysterious. And it's hard to explain. It's like someone asks, could you tell me how the Trinity works? Yes and no. Yes, I can tell you what the Bible teaches. And no, because there's only one Trinity. Trinity's not like an egg. Because it's not an egg. It's God. God in three persons. One in three persons who are all equally... You can't explain that. And it's really difficult to explain the virgin birth. But what we know here is Mary is overshadowed by the Spirit of God and the eternal Son of God takes the form of an embryo in her womb to grow into a child who grows into a man. Mary doesn't become a pod. Jesus isn't hatched from an egg. Real biology will happen in the womb of Mary. If you had an ultrasound machine, you would look in and you would see all of the natural developments of a child. You would see a little baby sucking its thumb. You you would see a baby wiggling and moving. Muscles and tendons being formed and developing here. Every biological development of every human becomes a reality for Jesus in the womb of Mary. And this child grows into a man, except there is one thing that the Spirit, that, the, that, that Luke is emphasizing here, except one thing, this was initiated by the Holy Spirit. Which means, notice he says, he shall be holy. He will not be a sinner. Because this is initiated by the Holy Spirit. He will be 100% man. Get that. Jesus wasn't a robot. Jesus wasn't this abstract thing in a galaxy far, far away. He was a real human who who began in the womb of a real woman who developed into a man who really lived a life. He was 100% man to live and die for men. And because he was also 100% God, he was a sinless man who could die for sinful men. Now why is that important? It's important to, to work to get that right. By the way, you can't celebrate Christmas and not be theological. It's hard to explain this and not have to dive into the depths of theology. But he was 100% man, 100% God. Why is that important? Because he's doing something here in the form of a man, God himself, that you can't do. Notice, and behold, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was also called barren. Now, Mary would have probably been close to Elizabeth. We, We seem to... See that in the gospel narrative. She would have known her and she would have known there's no way she could possibly be pregnant. And yet this angel says, no, she's in her sixth month. You don't want to believe that this could really happen. You you, you want to push away that this is possible. Well, by the way, Elizabeth, who bears the prophet of your son, Jesus the King, John the prophet, she who is barren is now conceived a son. For nothing will be impossible with God. A better reading here would, this would not be possible unless it was God. This is only possible if God does it. And we see here there is no good news at Christmas unless God steps in and does it. God has to do this. This is not just another episode in the Bible. 
If this doesn't happen, the Bible is not true. It's not true. It, God has to do something about our sin Himself because we can't do it. It would be impossible if God doesn't do it. Admitting and understanding the virgin birth is the first step in saying, I can't. God had to. It's impossible for me to do this. God had to come as a man to take care of it for me. We gather around Christmas. And again, so many of us, we, we taste our inadequacy. Many of you are trying to come up with the, the greatest Christmas ever for your kids. The greatest gift ever. The greatest time ever. You want to be the greatest mom ever. And, and, and you're put on center stage at Christmas. And you gather around and you look at your family and you say, Griswolds, not Waltons. These people are crazy. And I can't believe I thought this was going to be a hallmark moment. And, and you, moms especially, you feel in your gut inadequate. It didn't work. They want to take back that sweater that I thought was so great and awesome. And they held it up and said, really? When can I take this back? Do you have the receipt? And, and we feel our inadequacy. We can't, we can't make moments. We can't give people enough. And Christmas is a glorious time to say, I can't. You know how glorious it is before God to just stand there and say, I can't. And that's what the virgin birth does for us. I can't. I can't do this. I can't live a perfect life. Jesus had to do it for me. Do you realize you could live your life over and over and over and over and over and over and over again a million times and you'd never get it right? There would always be the flaws. There would always be the rebellion. There would always be you trying to do it your way. You could never relive your life in a way that would pay God back for your sin. You can't do it. You know, also, you, you could spend millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of years in hell and never pay for your sin. You can't do it. That's the point. And at the virgin birth, we stand in amazement that what I couldn't do, God stepped in and did. This amazing, glorious, unexplainable moment in human history, God is doing what we can't do. And notice Mary's response. Mary said, behold. Now there's been this word behold, and it, it refers to an announcement. And God has been announcing something all the way through Luke. Behold, 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 the announcement, the king is coming. And now Mary turns back here and says, Behold, I want to announce something to the world. I am the servant of the Lord. I am at His disposal. This Most High, this Lord and this Master, God Himself, I am literally His slave. He is my authority. And notice these are beautiful words. All week long, these words have just, they've, they've rang in my heart and my mind. I can't get past them. Let it be to me according to your word. 
What beautiful words of faith. What beautiful words of risk. This didn't make her life easier. It didn't. We, we think all of a sudden, everything's happy and clappy and holly and jolly for Mary. It's not. She has to leave that moment and go tell her parents what's happening. She has to walk past the beauty shop. She has to walk past the courthouse. She has to go to family reunions. She has to all of a sudden be the scandal of town. Did you hear what Mary's telling people? She's pregnant and she's saying it's God. She's saying the Holy Spirit did that. Yeah, right. It's the same thing you would say if she told you that. That can't be true. That's impossible. And Joseph didn't all of a sudden say, well, it's looking a lot like Christmas. What did he want to do? He wanted to put her away secretly. She embraces scandal. And these beautiful words, let it be to me according to your word. She says to God, you're writing the story. I will trust you to get it right even if it involves inconvenience and risk and sacrifice on my part. Christmas made her life more difficult. And Christmas should make our lives a little bit more difficult this year. Not because we're irritated with other people. Not because we're left empty. Not because of any of those things. But if this is true and God really did it, it demands your life. If if God really became a man and this story is true, stop playing games with it. You do realize a lot of people reject Christianity because of this story. It hinges on their faith. If I say this really happened, that means I have to give my life over to it. If God became a man and did something I couldn't do, if Jesus really lived and really died for my sins, then I've got to stop playing games with it. Let it be to me according to your word. And maybe this Christmas you, you say, okay, I'm going to risk. Headed into the new year, I'm going I'm to risk. I'm going to give more. I'm going to open up my home more. We're going to sit around and we're going to make up plans to how we can be more strategic for the sake of the gospel. And there are going to be things on, on your mission strategy for next year where you go, that's not going to be easy to do. Those people aren't easy to be around. I don't know if I can let go of that money. I don't know if I can do that and go to that place. There should be those things marked on your calendar where you are doing things that declare you really do believe this. I really do believe it. It's not just something I, I show up and listen to and it's just this thing that sort of echoes through my head and, and I sing the songs and I go through the motions. No, I really believe it. Every day I'm waking up saying, let it be to me according to your word. Christmas, in some ways, should make our lives more difficult. Even as a church this year, we should do things that we go, I don't know how we're going to do that. Pastor Jeremy says we're going to do it. The staff says we're going to do it. BFG leaders say we're going to do it. I, I just don't know how that's going to work. But let's obey and let's risk 
and that sacrifice. And let's be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel. Christmas should make our lives a little more difficult. And if not, maybe you need to go back and read it again. Maybe you need to go back and sing those songs that you've sung your whole life. And maybe if you really, really, by the Spirit of God, pray and reflect, maybe it's you who goes, oh, I didn't know that was in there. Oh, that's what that means for me. Maybe it's you this year who needs to be scandalized by the Christmas story. Let's pray.